Hello, it's Terry Edom here, author of The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity. Excellent. Thank you for joining the program here today. Of course, we wanted to get an update north of the border up in Canada, our international brother in there. Uh, what's happening up there with the uh, COVID-19? Is, uh, is is it the shutdown like it is here in America? Well, for an indication, I'm sitting in my storage room in my makeshift home office. So that's about what the country's like. That's a good metaphor for the country. Locked down, depressed, still cold out, gray and snowy. So it, there's there's nothing bright on the horizon here. Yeah, particularly if you're in the energy sector with the oil price crashing and, and whatnot. So, yeah, yeah, it's probably probably as bad as down there. Well, what's happening with the energy sector? Last we checked, uh, it's certainly a lot of uh, the environmental movement was uh, standing right. in, in the way of quite a bit. It was infiltrating much of the political parties uh, last we spoke. Right. G- give us an update in Canada where the oil and gas sector is here. You know, what are we, three days into springtime? No, really, it's hard to believe. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it's it's well. I guess if there's one good thing that came out of this um, the coronavirus thing, it's hard to imagine that. But um, the the environmental movement, or I shouldn't say the environmental movement, the, the environmental movement is the are the good guys. The climate change guys have been silenced for a while because people are actually realizing, hey, it's kind of important that we have supply chains, and it's kind of important that we have fuel to to bring us our food, and it's kind of important that farmers can grow crops with that diesel so uh it's starting to sink in where all the stuff comes from a little bit now they'll come back out of the woodwork i'm sure afterwards but as far as canada's political climate it's, it, everything's been kind of trumped by the um, the coronavirus we've we've gone into full pretty much full lockdown across the country people are working from home and uh, in the energy sector we've just been so beaten down that there's empty buildings downtown all over anyway so it's um yeah, it's uh, very dark days, uh, and like I so said, probably not that much different than you, except that we were more advanced on the environmental front before this all came crashing down. So. What's going on with your economy up there? I mean, you guys have a lot more of a socialized economy than we do here in the United States. Is there any sort of assistance, or does anybody worried about it, I guess? or does, did oh, you, I mean, well, I, I don't know, do, do, you, do you guys get loonies in the mail every day? <laughs> They're coming soon. Um, I, I, I avoid politics like the plague because, like you say, we have more of a, a socialist bent up here, and we have a, a minority government, which means that there's um, the uh, the prime minister doesn't have a majority in the House of Commons, so he's uh, he has to work with other parties. And unfortunately, the other parties he has to work with to maintain his um, his his platform and his programs are the greener ones, so it's even worse. So, so. That, yeah, legislatively, we're they're 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 putting bailout programs in, um, but we've had, we have just notoriously weak leadership in 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 the country here now, and there is, we've been dragging our feet putting uh, policies in place and just uh, catering to the lowest common denominator. It seems like just trying to keep everyone happy, but you can't make everyone happy. We do, you need a leader at this in times like this. You need someone to make decisive action and explain why you're getting ahead and we don't have that up here so and if he is a leader he's more likely to um well to give you an example of what kind of leader we have and when this coronavirus crisis started breaking uh, about a month ago um he was uh, and there was another crisis where we were having our railways blockaded by by climate activists which which crippled our economy before the coronavirus even got here 
and our our prime minister, Mr. Trudeau, was campaigning through Africa for a seat on the UN Security Council. That's where he was spending his days, really? handing out money. Believe this or not, handing out money to countries in Africa to enhance their development programs, some of which included oil and gas. You, you cannot make this stuff up. So we're we're just so um, beaten down by our politicians here that it's just background noise now. How about the the rest of the you know the the schools, the bars, the nightclubs? I guess I haven't really looked at what's going on in Canada, uh, in, in America. Yeah. You know, we've got states that are shutting down. Uh, most of the schools, I think, all but one or two state schools have been shut down for the most part. How how are you guys handling that? I think it's the exact parallel. We're, we're, we I think we. The, the real people run our world here very similar to the way it is across the border. Yeah, bars are shut down and, and a lot of, uh, most shopping is shut down. Um, people are, are working at home wherever possible. And the um, the supply chains, thankfully, are, are still moving things around except toilet paper. No one can find toilet paper. I don't know what it's like down there, but same thing. That, that, that's the, the weirdest thing <laughs> of this whole scenario. Uh, so yeah, it's it's very similar. We've it, and you're, you're, it's exactly the same in the way it's being administered too. We've had a patchwork thing where the provinces some have leapt ahead of others, some have um, some were um, had big closures or border closures almost before others did, or they were doing better screening and um, and others are still just like in California. I saw in the news the other day where they're still chasing people off the beaches, and we had still have that same problem in Vancouver day before yesterday where there were people were still congregating outside and whether that's the best strategy to deal with this i don't know i think it's a bit there's a tug of order war there how do you risk destroying your entire economy to corral us quickly um and and i i don't cut anybody any slack or i'm not pointing any fingers because i don't know what i would do in, in their shoes either it's it's a really tough thing to do but but it does look like we are going down that path that we're the lockdowns are the, the chosen route. So I think we just have to batten down the hatches and see what happens. Do you see a exit strategy for this this at all? I mean, because the I all I see is a, 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 an economy that's just going to be extremely broken. And oh, it, it, it'll come huh? back in, in something like we've never seen before. And it, it, it'll get fixed. It'll get fixed. Don't get me wrong. It'll yeah, get I fixed. Agree. But, but it, it's going to be so broken that I, I'm not even mm-hmm. sure how it'll get fixed. I, I, I agree. I just, it's just like, a, it's like looking into fog. I guess if there's one bright light is that if you look at China where they've taken their um, – they're easing back a little bit like there i saw a report saying that their coal consumption is climbing back up again to not that far off year ago levels so their industry is getting rolling again and um so that that's one ray of hope that they will kind of get back to that um that their economy can get back to some sort of uh, at least find the bottom so i'm hoping that if we do this lockdown quickly here then we can get back to some sort of or at least find the bottom and then start gradually reintroducing normal society. But I think, like you said, the, the repercussions of this are going to be enormous and probably more so globally or for um, uh, tourist destinations and that sort of thing, because I think that's going to be the last to recover. There'll be, the, the, our supply chains have to keep going or, or where it's all over for everyone. So we know that's going to happen. Governments, well, governments, there's no government layoffs that I've seen yet. 
um, the healthcare work, all, all of that will keep going. The government just looks like they're going to turn up the printing presses to find ways to pay for the emergency things. The, the how, how they un, unwind the um, people defaulting on mortgages or not paying their rent or that those chain reactions. I think that's going to be the biggest problem for us. But I think there's going to be a lot of second and third order um, issues around the world for like any tourist destination who's going to they're, they're if you take pick a Caribbean island that that lives off tourism what's going to happen when there's no cruise ships for eight months or no planes or whatever so those, those are the ones that I think that are going to be really severely impacted take Maui take Hawaii I mean Hawaii exactly well yeah, outside right. outside of the Coast Guard you don't really have anything there except tourism except tourism so and it's all built on tourism and everyone's income mm-hmm. is from tourism and, and it's it's going to be and it's the a government the Thank heavens there are no big socialists in power, especially in the United States. But a government can't replace this. They can't print enough money to to fill everyone's jeans to the extent that they were before. It just doesn't work that way. So they'll they'll get enough pe- money into people's hands to um, to keep them going. But but this the order of magnitude of these things. People are talking about a thirty percent unemployment rate. Like that's well, and that that's what I mean. Dropping. Right now, I some of the things that are being bantered about are, are are kind of very questionable to me. But then I think, you know what? We really right. are living in a time where everything is on the table, and nobody should be really judging any bad idea. Doesn't mean you got to accept it and you got to go with it. But right now, it just yeah. seems like every idea should be on the table for at least a second or two. And I I think so. Um, you do, do you, do you get news headlines, you know, emailed to you, that sort of thing? Do you follow that? Do you, do you go search it or are you more of just, you know, you, you, you just produce it and that's it? <laughs> well, I, I do scan the headlines. There's a few reputable sources that haven't been too overcome with the climate change disease that I will still frequent. Sure. Um, but, um, so, Reuters is the best one I, I find. Let, let me ask you this question, because I, I usually do, you know, at least a daily or every other day search for, you know, oil and gas across the globe. And then I'll even I'll even pinpoint it down to some shale plays occasionally and that sort of thing. I'm yep. seeing this. I do that similar. Yep. Yeah, I'm seeing this conversation about nationalizing oil coming up a little bit too much for my liking. And, you know, you being in, in, in Canada where you guys are halfway mm-hmm. there already. What the heck? Are you seeing this more, too? No, we haven't seen that yet. Um, okay. There is, there, there's a tension in Canada here, the West versus the East. Most of the population in Canada is in Eastern Canada, or, or Central Canada, I guess, the Toronto, Montreal, Hamilton corridor, very, very close to the to the big uh, population center in the U.S. The West is relatively unpopulated, and but has all the resources. And so th- this has been going on since Canada was formed. Um, this tension and now it's just coming to more to a head in Alberta in the West and not just Alberta but the West is quite petroleum rich and 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 it's um, fed the rest of the country hundreds of billions of dollars in taxes and payments throughout the 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 history of the oil patch here and so but but with the the way the environmental movement has gone um, in the urban centers especially where they've been attacking fossil fuel companies hydrocarbon companies and and almost trying to push us out of push us out of existence. There's a huge backlash against this in 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 the Western Canada here, the oil producing region. And there's a huge actually a separatist movement from Canada that's that's bulking up. A lot of people just said we're out. We don't want to. We're not 
sending our money there anymore to people that don't want it, to people that are trying to kill our industries. So th- that's actually gaining a lot of momentum out west here. And that, I think that's rattled the, the eastern elite quite a bit because they're um, – so I think that the talk of nationalizing the oil companies would would be seen as such an attack on Alberta that they would vote to separate, maybe come join you down there. And uh, within six months, I think that would happen. So they're, they're a little bit more tentative to even throw out ideas like that, I think, in Canada. Now, it seems unbelievable that it's even being considered in the home of free enterprise – but oh, I've seen it come up a few times in these these opinion yeah. pieces, you know, and and uh, it started la- actually last November is when I started seeing them come up, mm-hmm. and when you know the uh, as as a different angle for the fracking fracking because that's part of it is, oh, yeah. is that the yeah the yeah. oil would be nationalized and then part of that would they get rid of fracking right so now right. of course they're spinning it to the bailout way. Instead of just bailout, yeah. let's just you know nationalize it, and it's a, it's it's a little trick and sleight of hand being done by those people right. that were having that conversation. So, um, I just right. wanted to point well, that out first of all. But secondly, um, I don't know if you and I have ever had this conversation before. And the reason I did bring it up is, I'm just you know I, when I look at all the industries out there from technology, whether it be the drones to you know uh, fi- optics or or even the the placement of uh, optics with internet and that sort of thing. Um, right. It's, it is, they're, they're pretty heavily subsidized. You know, a lot of the industries are heavily subsidized, oh, yeah. but when I look at the oil and gas industry, they're heavily taxed. They're not subsidized. They're heavily taxed. Mm-hmm. And they're about the last bastion for capitalism that's left out there in the marketplace. That is not, you know, some sort of unfairness with subsidies here and this and that. I mean, agriculture has been doing it for a long time. Um, what do you make of that a little bit? You know, you living up there in Canada, taking a look at the United States with what we've got rolling. You've seen the headlines where they're trying to talk about bailing out the industry. Thank goodness for Mike Summers coming out right away. Knee-jerk reaction. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. With the API. That was so funny. I mean, he uh-huh. said he said no to the bailout without even checking with anybody. I mean, I didn't even know about <laughs> the story, and he was already quoting saying no. And that, but that that's the way the industry's been forever. That absolutely not. No subsidies, no bailouts. But they keep having that conversation. Right. So just anyway, do you see what well, I mean? Where this is it's just unusual conversations for the industry. Well, it kind of is, but it depends if you're looking in the right places. And like I said, one reason I don't look at the news is that, so there for example, there was a, a huge tidal wave of stories that came through here about the, over the past year about how heavily the fossil fuel industry is subsidized. And, and it's, it runs counter to what you're saying, but it's, it's like it, it's, it's been popping up in our news for quite a while here that Canada's um, fossil fuel industry is subsidized to the tune of $50 billion a year, and globally it's subsidized by $4 trillion a year. So I, I tracked that document down, and it comes out of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and, and then they just spin out all of these stories to all of the, the climate activists. And they're, they're just trying to paint the oil and gas industry with this brush that it survives on government subsidies. And there's a, a great guy, uh, I think he's an American guy, what's up with that? He's called, I think, the website. And um, it's either that or a guy in British Columbia called the chemist in Langley, one of the two anyways, did a dissection of what they call fossil fuel subsidies. And it's, it's this typical academic uh, theorizing 
one of the largest components of what they deem to be a fossil fuel subsidy, which in Canada they, they pinned a label of, on of like or a number of 12 to $15 billion a year or something, was um, that the amount of time lost in traffic when people are stuck in traffic, and they call that a fossil fuel subsidy. So, and then that gets rolled into these academic studies and it gets spread out to the world, like look at all of the big fossil fuel subsidies to the, to the fossil fuel industry, that we have to stop them. And it's, it's this level of ignorance, which is what got me into writing, and it's just astonishing. And you have the people that are talking about nationalizing oil companies and, and, and the subsidy argument, and maybe you don't see it down there that much, but it exists globally, and it's very big and, and believed in Europe. These are the same people that under, underpin ideas like the Green New Deal, which just have no, no grounds of reality whatsoever. Like they don't smell past any acid test for a sanity check of actually paying for something. They're just fantasies. And, and it's all part of the same machine, which is, like I said, takes over the news. So the, the, the fossil subsidies angle of what you're talking about, I agree. And, and I think that um, for the, in the history of petroleum development, um, big oil companies or all companies were, were invited into countries around the world to develop petroleum reserves government said we need your expertise to come develop our 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 petroleum and we can have a higher standard of living with that so so that that's how it's gone forever until governments now have turned against them um so you're right we're very much on our own now we're, we're taxed our tax shelters are being eroded the the incentives that used to be there are gone and we, we just pay a flat out tax well look at the consumption taxes that are on a gallon of gasoline uh, how much of that is tax in, in any jurisdiction so um, you're right, and, and that people don't think there's people just don't understand these arguments when they talk about these things. If, if you even talking about moving to electric vehicles, let's say that happened, well, what what where does all the tax revenue come from from all that gas uh, gasoline taxes? Like, what would replace that? Would you slap that onto electricity and then make them outrageously expensive too? Or anyways, there's what, what, there's the theory which dominates the news stream which is green and feel goody. And then when you actually, when the rubber hits the road, like no one has any idea how to do it. So I think uh, what you said early on is one of the most important things that was kind of lost on me, I guess, you know, in terms of shining a light on the awareness that the, the supply chain and, and, and the need for oil and gas has, has created during this COVID-19 coronavirus. And even the governor of Colorado, in, in one of his briefings, he had to basically uh, pat the, the industry on the back because they're they're able to you know allow this stuff to happen, you know, for for healthcare right. reasons. Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's just unavoidable that I mean it's it, when people can dodge it um, all they want and they can say we don't need fossil fuels. Um, and I, I'm really hating that term now. Anyways, I'm starting to use hydrocarbons because it's more accurate. Oh, I like um, that. I'm switching it, that too. <laughs> I, I'm done with fossil fuels. Uh, so it, it's easy for people to dismiss them when they take it all for granted and it's always there. Because of our market economy, it, it always will be there. That's just how, how it works. We don't, we're not Putin. We're not gonna, we don't sh- turn off the valve to Europe in the middle of winter and deny them natural gas. That's not how a market economy works. There's nowhere in the United States or Canada where, where any business is going to voluntarily shut in a pipeline to prove a point to someone. We just don't do that. 
And so all these people know that, and they can say, "Well, yeah, we don't need. I don't. I don't care if I get your oil or not." But because they know we won't stop the flow of it. But now they actually see, "Oh well, oh wait a minute. Maybe if I had to live without it, what would life look like?" Well, not very good. So having said that, I think the light will go on for a lot of people that that aren't don't really think about energy that much, which is most people. And then laying in the weeds are still the hardcore political activists and climate activists. And they, they won't be convinced by that at all. They'll come back right away. But but even the average person, um, the average person that I've been talking to over the last, say, week and a half since this kind of this virus has, you know, gone global. Uh-huh. The, the stories that they've brought up to me is uh, China's satellite video of the factories to where there's, you know, there's not as much ozone pollution. They bring up the Venice, which... There's dolphins and fish now swimming in the canals. And then they, they, they'll bring up, um, oh, what was the other one the other day? There was some other, oh, the pork belly one, in, in where they tried to throw in the solar and wind farms into the stimulus bill where they're trying to give aid to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That one was just yesterday. So I, I'm seeing different levels of green opportunism. And, you know, and I look at like the Venice thing, for example, I, I didn't know they used, um, uh, gasoline motors in there. I thought they had gondolas and things like that. My thought was, is that it was just the sheer human activity that kept the fish and the dolphins out of the canal and had nothing to do with, you know, petroleum or hydrocarbons. I was going to say fossil fuel, but I I don't want to say that anymore. I'm going to say hydrocarbons now. Um, yeah, good man. But you know what I mean? It just seems like there's there's like three or four different angles that there's green opportunism used in this pandemic, in this scare, in this, you know, what, what, whatever direction yeah. somebody wants to take with it. I, I don't want to make light of it. But at the same time, I do want to point out that you brought up a great point early on, which is the awareness that has been created for the need of the supply chain with oil and gas and I haven't had anybody talk to me about that till you right now. Anyway, oh, yeah, well, uh, and, and it's it's a good point. And there are there are good uh, messages that come out of this. And the, the the canals in Venice is a good thing. And 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 I, I think it's a good thing to see actually. But I think um, that's more about human that, activity than petroleum. Exactly, exactly. And that's that's the, the that's where this is illuminating. Is that people need to see that this is the result of all of this human activity, all of the tourism, all the people living, the people moving around and everything else. And that's just the way it is. That that's there there the the cities are cleaner in parts of the world where uh, where where industry has been shut down, but that's the consequence. If you want to, if you want those clean skies with zero pollution as we live now, that's what you have to have. You have to shut everything down. Is that what you want? So now then that's where I always try and make the argument, we have to come back to environmentalism is a good thing. We should be reducing our footprint. And, and if we could, it would be fantastic to have the same level of employment in Venice and the same level of activity and, and have clean water too. So that's what we should strive for. But you don't, you don't get there by just turning off the fuel caps because that's, that's just mayhem. Well, another thing too is actually that we have been striving for all those things. I remember living out in California exactly. where smog was so bad you couldn't even see the the mountains right, and, and right. you know what they took care of that 
I mean, they, they, they took care of that. Yeah, innovation has created so much clean and recycled opportunities, and us humans have seized many of those opportunities. Now, have we gotten gluttonous? Well, absolutely. It's one of the seven deadly sins to remind us that humans yep. get gluttonous so much. And maybe we do need right. to not use the canal in Venice as much. And maybe, you know, may, you know whatever right. it is, I don't know. And is there, you know, I mean, I was even looking at um, just s- some of the uh, quotes from the Book of Revelations the other day. Boy, that's not, it, it, that's an eerie, that's an eerie chapter of the book to read right now. Let me tell you. Yeah. Well, home to roost. well, all right. Let me just read it for you here real quickly. Let's see. What is it? It's a Revelations 920. Okay, you ready for this? And the uh-huh. rest of men who were not killed by these plagues, yet represented not the works of their hands, yet they should not worship evil devils and idols of silver and gold and brass and stone and of wood, and which ne- neither can be seen nor heard nor walk. Boy, that's a little bit interesting, isn't it? During the times yeah. of plague, wow. don't worship false idols like the Kardashians. Yeah. Don't don't get <laughs> caught up in the glamour and the glitz of the money. And at the same time, be careful what you can and see and cannot hear and that sort of thing. We live in a world of Snapchat filters and everything else, man. That's a very yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. That's that was I had to look that up because I used to teach Sunday school and I have read the Bible a couple times, so there are some uh-huh. things that well, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, that's one thing that's, I wouldn't say, and I, I hate to keep saying that there's good things that are coming out of it. One really cool thing that's coming out of it is, um, there was an example downtown in Calgary here. There's a, a company in one of the big office towers, and they were, um, there's a there's a coffee shop at the bottom, uh, bottom, the street level, and the coffee shop was like almost going out of business because there's no more customers because there's no more people downtown. And so one of the companies in their tower went downstairs and they bought $10,000 worth of prepaid gift cards um, for that coffee shop. Uh, even though the, the shop had to close up, they said, we'll be back when you're back, but you need to pay your rent. You need to pay your utilities. We want to keep you alive. Um, and then w- when everything's back to normal, then we'll come collect. <laughs> and that's just one of the best things ever. And that's what, then I did a post about that and put a LinkedIn and I tracked down my favorite coffee shop and I bought a gift card and I said, like, everybody, let's get out there and do this. Let's, Support small business. Let's do what you can. There are things you can do to, that are exactly in line with what you're saying. Stop worshiping the, the silly things, and let's just focus on what we can do here to make things better. And um, um, th- there are efforts that people can make, and I think that's one of the rays of light that will get everybody through this thing, is that maybe there's some good elements to society. People are supporting food banks more because they can see where there's going to be demand for that coming, and... Um, uh, so I think that there's, uh, there's definitely, uh, maybe there'll be, um, parts of humanity that will rise to the surface more than we'd expected. Like this in times of crisis anywhere where people actually stop and help each other and they worry about seniors now and they worry about, uh, people that can't get out for groceries and that sort of thing. So maybe some good will come out of it. Some awareness. Yeah. I think maybe people will wake up and go, okay, well, if I want to reduce my footprint, here's what it means to reduce my footprint. We don't turn off our fuel supply because that's just stupid, but maybe I can do things a little cleaner or whatever. So 
So what is industry making it making of this up there? I mean, are are they pretty much mirroring the United States and, and, and everywhere else? Is there extra restrictions because of the Canadian government that needs to be put in? Or is it mostly, hey, the field workers are working in the field and the office workers are working from home? That's <laughs> about the size of it, I think. Yeah, there's uh, the, the, there's the crack. The biggest crackdown is just to limit human interaction now, it seems like. So, so whatever that entails, you're right. The farmers are, are, um, they, they will be out in the fields before too long, hopefully. And, and they're out there by themselves. And thank God for that, that they'll keep chugging away. Um, but even in the mountains here, um, we, I went out to the mountains the last weekend and they're saying like, please don't come out to the mountains because there's, we don't need pe- too many people coming out here to hang around. But for crying out loud, it's the mountains. <laughs> there's not another, person for two square miles when you're out on a hiking trail so i wasn't overly concerned that i was hurting anything and, and i'm I, i'm hoping that uh, to get back to that topic that if, if there's a if we do have the lockdown we can come out of it like china quickly here we we do have we don't have the same authoritarianism as china where they don't have the same respect for for especially up here people tend to um, just get away with a lot of stuff and in China they wouldn't get away with that same sort of thing it's like Russia <laughs> and um, I was and, just having that, that actually works for the benefit I was talking to my old uh, uh, my, my old talk radio news buddy he, he still works for the news station I used to work for and we were just talking about this a little bit and and I brought that up about China. I said, you know, I, I, I suppose China's now in the benchmark at two months you know two months of quarantine <laughs> and now they're back at it I said, but after watching that demonstration they did at the Olympics a few years ago, boy, they were so lock, stock, and barrel. I don't know if any country's <laughs> as disciplined as they are. I mean, I, here in the U.S., man, people are looking at going out next week already. They're tired. They're cabin fever. Yeah. <laughs> they've they've already been in. I mean, and so China does have a different respect for authority. No question about it. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be different to see how, how it works out in the United States because, well, like I was talking. To some energy companies and you know as long as they work a certain distance and do other things they're still trying to make it work within the same guidelines of the cdc and everything else along those lines right um are you seeing that in canada i mean the, uh, when i you know the guys are still going out and, and they're still uh the ones who have jobs and and have work up there are, are they they're, they're still being able to do it and is it construction still going on? Cause it's a similar type of an industry. Um, they just started right. shutting down some construction crews in, in my town here in North Dakota. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, on yeah, some projects. The, uh, um, I think the bigger infrastructure projects to the extent that anything is happening in, ca- in Canada, but there, there are things going on. Like there's some, a big, uh, uh, road or highway project being built in Calgary here, and they're they're still going with that sort of thing. So they are trying to keep bigger infrastructure things going. Um, kind of that, the, the essential things. ones, essential ones, if you will. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think if you can if you can segregate people enough so that they are working, like if you're driving around in a big piece of equipment, um, you, it's you can you can instruct these people not to um, have any interactions. Maybe you don't have your morning coffee with the with the eight other guys, but you can still go right around all day on a big caterpillar. Um, that that that's keeping money flowing through the economy too. So I think that's that's the balancing act, which I think that um, governments have wrestled with here. And, and it, it's uh, I mean I, I do I, I'm hard on politicians, but this, this whole 
dictate has been driven by the medical profession, and they're doing what they are trained to do, which is to make the best of a pandemic situation. And they're saying, look, if you want to, if you want to control it, this is what it takes. And they've been kind of given the full authority to, to do things. And they're not economists and they're not, uh, um, they're, they're not used to running uh, businesses or anything like that, but they're doing their job. So it's, that's the job of politicians. And that's like I, why I said, like, we need real leadership here to be able to properly balance these things. You need somebody that can step in and say, okay, if someone is driving a delivery truck by themselves all day and they're not having any interaction with humans, then that should be okay. And then that keeps one leg of the economy going and, and all these sorts of things. Um, the blanket shutdowns, I understand why they're doing them, but I, but hopefully we'll start coming up with some, some plans where we can say, okay, this is not a risk or, or, or maybe we come up with testing kits and these people can be tested every day or something. And I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a very tough problem. And so, how about your company that you work for? I know you do, you know, you author of the End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, available on Amazon, and also yep. Public Energy Number One for your blog. Uh, you also write for the yep. BOE Report, but um, you know your natural gas job as well. Don't aren't you involved with the natural gas business too? I, I am. I work for a little company with about twenty people, and so we've been. Uh, so our operations are still going out in the in the field, and they just had a conference call today, and we're um, we're pairing everything back just for budgetary reasons. But, uh, but like our our operators in the field, that we just um, they used to have a morning meeting, and now they just don't have that morning meeting anymore. So they just come from 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 their home and they head out into the field and they start looking at wells and whatnot, and just have limited human interaction. And so they're still carrying on. It's just a changed um, environment a little bit, and and. Uh, the, their workday looks a little different. For us downtowners, the um, there's about 20 or 25 of us, and we're just all working from home. We just use video conferencing and whatnot. It's not quite the same. It's um, well, there's too many distractions at home, like the fridge and whatever else in the garage, and <laughs> 50 things I could be doing. But um, it works, and uh, it's, it's pro- I'm probably about 80 percent as productive, probably. Um, so we can get by, and it's just we just have to change the way we do things a little bit. But but uh, we we can get it done. So, how about yeah. your guys out in the field but, that used to have the morning meetings? Are are they utilizing like a FaceTime or Zoom or any sort of uh, Skype? You know what I mean, as far as a video type of a thing. I, I I'm I'm not even. I mean, I suppose Zoom is the one where you can have multiples and FaceTimes and Skype. Yeah. I think are are just singular, but. Are, are they doing any think, of those yeah. uh, conferencing or having sort of audio meetings or anything like that? Are they keeping the communication going? I guess they're they're keeping the communication going for sure, for sure. And it's um, they can um, uh, well you could you could even have meetings. Like I know some people that have met with uh, like three or four half ton trucks <laughs> pulling up and parking close to each other and just talk out the windows. And it's still a meeting. Maybe you don't go in the office and have coffee or something, but you can still find ways to do it. Um, it's Microsoft Teams. We everyone has on their machine now, which is pretty neat software, and everybody can link in and and have a video connection too. And when the more you speak, the more you're you're. It's like a little grid of of uh, images, and uh, you you show up depending on if you speak or not. So on other people's screens. So it's kind of cool technology, and everybody's kind of getting used to that. So uh, one of my friends said uh, it's ironic that they they're having a, they're all working from home for another small company, and um, uh, she said that she she rarely goes down to the other end to the operations 
uh, end of the floor, and she, she she speaks to those people more now that she's at home than she did before <laughs> through the video conferencing. So uh, it's just one of those weird things. But it, it, we're very fortunate that we can uh, still have a functioning business, and not to toot our horn here, but the the whole world is fortunate that the energy business is not shutting down because of this, because Lord knows what that would look like. So. Do, do you want to give your natural gas company a plug? Oh, we're called Outlier Resources. We're small and private, so there's nobody can really help us. <laughs> but thanks anyway. So we're we're, we're owned by our uh, all the people in our office, not not me very much, but uh, we have some of our wait, our, wait, our no. founders own the company too. So yeah. I've, I, so, I have never done a, an advertisement. I have never done a plug. And keep in mind, folks, Mr. Terry Edom is not paying for this one cent. So he's he's getting nope. every penny out of this plug right here. So how can people not <laughs> help make make you money? How can people not help you? <laughs> oh well, we don't have any external investors, and uh, we just we put our gas into the line, and somebody uses it on the other end. So that's about the end of it. That's so funny. Hey, you want to give your business a plug? Oh, nobody can help us. We're a small company. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in America saying that same thing for different reasons. But um, yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, it actually we, the the one thing that my my friend and I talked about uh, the news guy, and this is you know getting back to some serious stuff and getting back to supporting your local business and and that sort of thing. No, I get it. You're 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 part of a supply chain, so I understand what you're talking right, about. Right, right. But uh, but um, it was just funny the way. Oh no, we're small. Nobody can help us. He, my, my buddy brought up a good point about restaurants because today is, I think, National Carryout Day or Take Home Day or something like that. They're encouraging people to get takeout. And so those people oh, listening, yeah, yeah. You, you get takeout today or tomorrow. And I did worry about this fad because you know as well as I do that there is a part of going to the restaurant is sitting in the restaurant. It's part of the ambiance. And mm-hmm. when you got to start ordering takeout, well, that, that that people don't do it every night for a reason and so my my buddy brought up a good point he said you know honestly about 25 percent of the restaurants that are closed right now probably won't open back up again and that hit me pretty hard because i know a lot of small business owners that will they'll probably do that just to not even it's a lot of work to own a restaurant a lot of work and and i feel sorry for those guys and that's why we tried every day doing one meal at least one meal and even that slowed down now in the you know second third week, but mm-hmm. anyway, I just wanted to yeah, know it, your thoughts about that when it comes to like you know restaurants are the first line of defense. They're the ones who got hit right away out of the gate. Yep, and we're um, we work. My family and I are working hard to support them. <laughs> we're doing the takeouts a lot, and uh, we have a, a service called Skip the Dishes up here. You probably have something that or similar, where they're just a delivery service that um, restaurants sign up for. And, and uh, they just make the delivery thing more efficient rather than every company, every restaurant having to have their own delivery guy. Anyway, so they're they're doing very well, I think. Um, they seem, and they even they can even go to McDonald's and that sort of thing. So, um, but I, I am happy to see that in a sense. It, it's uh, I wrote about it in one blog. I said it's a lot of people are finding benefits in cooking at home with their family and they're they're bonding together as family units, which is good. But at the same time you do cook and eat 21 meals a week. So at some point you just say, I don't, I don't want to cook with you anymore. And I'm going to, and, and so I think that's uh it's a balancing act, but it's, and it, but it, it does help. And if we, 
it's going to be the saddest thing if we pull through this. And like you say, if there's a whole uh, whack of restaurants gone that aren't going to come back, that would be just the, the saddest thing for for everyone, for the, for the fabric of the community and for the people themselves that have lost their business. So, so yeah, every, everyone out there, if you have a small business that you that you like and you want to see survive, just um, track them down. Like my, I mentioned, my favorite coffee shop, they're closed up, but I went to their website and I found an email address and I said, hey, I want to buy a gift card for... And I'll use it up as soon as you open. And, and I encourage everyone out there to do the same thing. If you've got a small business that you want to see stick around, then find their owner somehow online and just say, here, let me, I'll buy something for you and I'll pick it up next month or whatever if you can, if you're lucky enough to be employed. So I thought about um, I thought about shaving my head and then sending my, uh, the gal who cuts my hair a check for what I'd normally pay her, you know? <laughs> Well, I honestly, I thought, I thought, well, the hairstylist, they can't cut hair either. So, <laughs> no, exactly. Well, and that, 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 that's, that's another industry that relies on that day-to-day cash. You know what I mean? They, yeah. 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 And, so, and, and do you want to see her go out of business and all of her? And you're, then you will be stuck with you and your clippers. So, I actually that thought that, somebody that, like that you can, I did think that could right? go viral. In terms of if you'd made it, you know, like one of the ice bucket yeah. challenges, do the shaved head challenge or shave your head and send your, you know, your, send your barber or your, your beautician, you know, and for girls go natural, go natural with your hair color. Cause that's what you, you know, think of all the, all the husbands right now that are finding out what color their hair's, their wife's hair is. I mean, boy, all kinds of secrets coming out, boy. <laughs> oh yeah. oh yeah people looking at their visa bills and all kinds of people extra time on their hands right now (laughs) the craziest stuff's happening yeah oh yeah anyway but well how can people support you and get you some money during this time you i know that you write and you're a blogger so you know give yourself a plug for those different outlets that people can support you well sure if they're if they're the best thing for me and for them I'll point out is if they go pick up my book, The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity, it's on, it's on Amazon.com and Barnes and & Noble. And um, a lot of people love it. I've had great reviews, and you can check out the reviews yourself. There's more reviews at, on Amazon.ca, but there's a bunch in the States too, and people have been finding great value from it from across the spectrum. They said, hey, I've learned a lot of, about this, and um, I think uh, they have a better feel for the energy world and why we got to the place that we're at. And I, I didn't write the book just to... Um, just to say rah 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 oil and gas i said no here's here's how we got here there's there's warts on the past for sure and uh, but it's an, an industry that's always striving to improve itself and the world cannot live without it not even close and not for a very long time and the sooner people realize that the better off we'll be but that doesn't mean we can't do better we can't we can lessen pollution we can make things better we can we can write wrongs where we can and we can just do a better job all around and so that's what the book is about so if you're sitting there bored out of your head, just go order a copy or two or three. 